Welcome to Praxis, a podcast where we explore how to practice and embody the way of Jesus in our everyday lives. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Today, we decided to put together a bonus episode. We've been in this series on emotional maturity and how it's essential to discipleship. And in our last recording, we talked about boundaries. Well, today we wanted to continue that conversation by talking with Terry Koshnick. She's a long-term member of our church community and a therapist. So Terry pretty much helps people establish and maintain healthy boundaries for a living. She's got a mountain of expertise and insight. And she also happens to be your mom, Katie. She does. So let's start with that. What was it like having your mom on the uh, on the podcast? It was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, it kind of felt like a normal kitchen table conversation from my childhood, if I'm being honest. Like yeah. we talked, I grew up just talking about this stuff a lot. Yeah. I remember my mom, I'll mention this, but I remember her handing out the boundaries book by Henry and Townsend to everyone. And, um, and just, this was kind of the air I breathed as a yeah. kid. So um, it was really fun to dig into it in a different format yep. and hear more about like how it ties into her practice and to have you be part of the conversation, Mac. Yeah, that was awesome. And to hear you giggle about the ways that were similar. Yeah, that was a hoot. I think one thing that stood out to me um, that I don't think we would have brought to the table, um, like your mom's expertise showed up in the conversation, was just mm-hmm. naming the physiological um, and chemical responses to having boundaries and not having boundaries. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, mm-hmm. really insightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not just talking about healthy relationships here. We're talking about... Um, how it shows up in your body. How it shows up in your body and your physical health. And I think for a long time, we've wanted to separate those two things, but yep. more and more, I think medical research is showing that they are really connected. Yeah. Anyways, it was a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on Boundaries. My name is Katie. And I'm Mac. Welcome to Praxis. Uh, we're sitting here today with a special guest by the name of Terry Koshnick. And if you're thinking, wait, Terry Koshnick, isn't that your mom? Well, yes. Yes, it is my mom. <laughs> and we're excited to have her here today. We're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to my mom's heart and has been a big part of her life and her professional practice as a therapist for a long time. And that's boundaries. Um, We did an episode on boundaries last time, and Mac, you mentioned a book by the title Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. It's a very good resource. It's a great resource, and I remember my mom recommending that book to literally hundreds, if not thousands of people growing up and just talking about boundaries a lot. Like This was literally part of the everyday dialogue in our conversation. Um, I made a joke recently that you know how most kids start by saying like mama or dada as their first word? I'm pretty sure my first word was boundaries because that's <laughs> how much we talked about it in our home. So in all seriousness, we're excited to have her here today. Um, she's been a marriage and family therapist for about 30 years and has spent most of that time practicing here in Oconomowoc. Um, I think she's had about 80 to 90% of this town in her office at some point in time. I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and say like, oh my gosh, your mom like helped me so much, changed my life, oftentimes with tears in their eyes. So I know she's helped a lot of people with her work. And today we're here talking about something that is especially near and dear to her heart. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. You have helped a ton of people. And one of the reasons why I'm excited, I've been anticipating this conversation for a while. And part of it is just to watch the two of you interact 
Um, because you have so many similarities, you two kind of look alike. And when you both get amped up, you I don't know if you are aware you do this. You both kind of do this like head bomb finger thing that mm-hmm. has this rhythm to it to like emphasize a point. So I'm just excited to see Sometimes the, it's two fingers sometime, if I'm really being serious. Yeah, if you're really, really doubling down, mm-hmm. it becomes two fingers. You do it as well. I'm just excited to see the two of you interact. You have so yeah. many similarities. But you're also very different. So I thought just to kind of like maybe a playful starter here, why don't you share some ways you're very, very different from each other? Hmm. I'll let you start with that one. How we are different is Katie thinks before she speaks. (laughs) I am pretty impulsive and spontaneous, and I will speak just right off the cuff, whatever I'm thinking. It could be called verbal processing out loud, and Katie knows I'm highly impulsive, and I say whatever I think without a filter, where Katie, I really think, is more like Randy, my husband, where she thinks before she speaks. She'll process what she's thinking and then speak. And then communicate. And then speak what she has already filtered is probably appropriate. Terry doesn't often do that, and it gets (laughs) me in trouble. Would you agree, Katie? Sometimes. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I don't think before I speak, but what, that is a pretty good one. What would you say? So um, I know I am fairly extroverted and do a lot of social activities, but my mom takes that and like times it by 10. Yes. So I think compared to my mom, I'm actually like maybe kind of an introvert <laughs> where I need some time at home. That is crazy to me. Why? Because um, typically when we check in during the week, I hear what you did over the weekend and it's enough uh, social activity that I would need to take at least 10 naps. <laughs> yeah. And I can see, I would say, Katie, that you probably seem like you're not doing as much, right? Compared to maybe what I'm doing or. Yeah. You I'm, just like to pack every, yeah, literally every minute of every day okay. with, with, and fun. it's always with fun. Yeah. It's always with fun. But that's because I'm a seven on the Instagram. Yes. Yes. Sevens can never have enough fun. Yes. So I'm excited because this feels fun to me right now. Yeah. This is a <laughs> I am fun having event. fun. We're having fun. And I'm achieving and I'm a three. So we're all, we're all getting good. what we need. Well, um, speaking of achieving, let's, and having fun. Let's get into this. You kind of took the wind out of my sails, Katie. I know um, I did. Because I was going to introduce this topic we're going to cover today, and you already did. But in fairness, I asked your permission. There we go. So we're, we're in this series on emotional maturity and how it's essential to discipleship. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you'll also need to grow your emotional maturity. Last episode, we just introduced this entire topic of, of, of boundaries, and we covered a lot of stuff. We talked about what boundaries are. A boundary is a space or a limit uh, between you and another person that defines where you end and the other person begins. We talked about a bunch of different kinds of boundaries, mm-hmm. emotional boundaries, physical boundaries. Conversational. All of that. We talked about what boundaries aren't. There's a lot of myths or confusion what boundaries are. I think the most common one I encounter is that boundaries are selfish. Mm. And so we tried to mm-hmm. unpack how that's that's not actually the case. Um and then we talked about how to discern boundaries. And one of the things we really are committed to in this podcast is, is going back to Jesus and seeing how he embodied the things we're talking about. And Jesus did not live a, a boundaryless life. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the episode, we just kind of felt like, man, there's a lot more we could say about this. 
And I know this is something that we all have to deal with in our everyday lives. There's lots of boundaries to navigate, and and maybe we should go a little bit further. And so today, Terry, we invited you on because you basically help people with boundaries. Um, it's like your professional skill set. And we collaborated on the front end to name five reasons why boundaries are important. So that's what we want to talk about today. Here are five reasons why boundaries are really important um, in life. So Terry, why don't you kick us off and share reason number one? I'd be happy to do that. Thanks, Mac. And I did listen to that last podcast on boundaries. And I want to say it was excellent and packed a lot of information. So if you haven't listened to the last podcast on boundaries, I really encourage you to listen to that because it was... Maybe now when you recommend that book to people, you can sort of pair it with the podcast episode. I will tell them to definitely listen to the podcast. It was excellent and covered a lot of information. So thank you for that. Thank you. And today um, we're going to be talking about boundaries and to uh, encourage boundaries, encourage honesty Mm -hmm. in relationships. And the first point that I want to talk about is protecting against operating with unspoken assumptions. Hmm. So this gave me a pause to think about what this actually means. Um, It's really about if you're interacting with someone, a lot of people do this, I find, in my practice. Mm -hmm. They have narratives in their head that they believe about boundaries or about a situation and they act as if it's true. Mm-hmm. So to define assumptions, it's something that we are thinking or creating as a narrative in our minds that we can do two things with. One, project onto others hmm. what we think they're thinking or what we think they're needing, Or the other way assumption can come into a boundary violation is assuming someone should know what we want or what we think. So those are kind of two different ways that we can have boundary violations through assumptions. Okay, Um, time out. You've said a lot. Okay. okay. So I hear you saying that uh, the first reason is that boundaries encourage honesty in relationships. Correct. And part of this honesty is being clear about our expectations and perhaps having clarity about other people's expectations, right? Correct. But how would you do that unless you actually ask and communicate? So we're talking about what I think is two different things. Assumptions are in our head, right? They're thoughts that we have and we project onto someone. The clarification is verbalizing and asking. So a boundary can be considered uh, in asking and recognizing that we actually don't know. You have to assume a posture of humility Hmm. and actually recognize there's a thought process going on or a narrative in your head that you think you know what the other person wants or you think someone should know what you want. So assumptions are narratives in our mind that we project onto others. Do you have an example maybe that would help? Yeah, maybe, maybe, um, I think this might, might help. Um, Terry, you tell me, I once had someone, you actually know this person, so I'm not going to say their name. (laughs) Um, they, they, at one point were at part of our church community 
And somehow, I have no idea how, they got my cell phone. Mm. And this person began to call me whenever they had a problem or a challenge that they were experiencing in life. I'm sorry. I thought you were okay when I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I do call um, you a lot. Okay, yeah, no, keep no, no, going. No. I don't keep think going. it was you, but okay. somehow this individual, he got my phone, and, and whenever he had a problem, a challenge mm. that he didn't know how to handle on his own, he would reach out to me, and it, and it became very consistent and not during work hours. So I'd be mm. hanging out with my family at night, mm. bring, bring, bring. It'd be on the weekend, mm. Friday nights. Mm. I mean, it's just kind yeah. of very intrusive. Mm -hmm. And I initially was pretty frustrated. Like, how come this person doesn't intuit or realize that they're mm. violating my boundaries and intruding on my family time, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera? At the same time, is this person unaware of the expectations they have? It seems that he had this conception of a pastor that this is what a pastor is. They are sort of an mm. on-call counselor whenever mm -hmm. I'm experiencing a problem or a challenge. So I felt like there were kind of two things going on. One is, what does this person, what expectations mm -hmm. does this person have of me mm -hmm. wrapped up in my role? And... Um, why am I so, have I communicated my boundaries? Mm -hmm. In other words, it'd be great if this individual could just intuit those boundaries and knock mm -hmm. it off, but perhaps I need to be clearer about here's what I can do for you, here's what I can't mm -hmm. do for you, here's when I'm available, mm -hmm. here's when I'm not going to be available, right. et cetera. Yeah. And so that's what I had to do. I, I kind of, next time there was a moment, of course I didn't want to blow him off to make, make mm -hmm. him feel like I don't care about you, but next time I just kind of delayed my response I waited till work hours. I called and said, hey, I, I saw you reached out, had a conversation. Hey, it seems like you're calling a lot at different times. Mm -hmm. It seems like you, I'm noticing these kinds of expert expectations. What are your expectations of me? I really want to care and support you. Mm -hmm. However, here's when I can do that. Yeah, that's and that's good. And if, if it goes beyond what I can do, you might need something more mm -hmm. than I can provide, but here's what I can do and here's when I'm going to mm -hmm. be available to you. Does that kind of get at yeah. it a little bit? And that's a really good example, Mac, I think, on two um, levels. One, that person was assuming you should be available to them 24-7 because you're the pastor. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the assumption would be pastors should be available at all times, mm -hmm. and I'm going to act on that. But one thing when you were speaking is I heard an assumption on your part was People should just know, should know what the boundaries are. So you have two people interacting with assumptions, yep. and you eventually got around to clarifying, here are my boundaries. But I could hear in that conversation in your mind, how can someone not know they should know yes. this is my private time, and they should know that. So the assumption can be in the parties interacting and communicating. We always project our thought process onto the other person. So he's projecting his onto yours. A pastor should be available 24-7 to me no matter what's going on. Yep. And yours is people should really know this. Yep. Like I'm not available 24-7. Yep. So that takes a conversation to clarify expectations around that. Yep. And I was going to share, I was kind of thinking about, do I want to share this? But yes, I am going to share this. It's a situation I have going on right now on a personal level of mm. boundaries that after 40 years of Grandma Cece, my mother-in-law, <laughs> hosting Christmas, she can no longer do it. Oh, So the three 
sisters, one sister and the two sister-in-laws and my mother-in-law, all have to come to a conclusion of what do we do next? Mm. And it's been a nightmare, okay? Mm. Right, Katie? Like a nightmare because we all operate under assumptions. We're all operating under assumptions. And it's caused me to pause and say, how are each one of my sisters and my mother-in-law operating under assumptions? Because it's gotten very tangled, mm-hmm. right? Katie can kind of know the players here. And I love everybody. We all get along. So I want to just clarify, these are healthy family members. But either even in healthy families, there are assumptions and boundary mm-hmm. violation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My mother-in-law loves everybody and just wants to get along and wants everybody to be happy. So she assumes she knows what everybody wants yep. and interjects Here's what's going to happen. But it's all based on her assumptions that she knows what's best and she's going to do everybody. what's best for everybody. Right. Thank you, Grandma Cece. We love that about you. Yeah. My other sister-in-law is quiet and her assumption is, I don't really get a voice. I'll just mm. do whatever and it's really not about me. And I assume that I just really don't have a say. And then my other sister-in-law, who I love who could be listening, and it's okay if she is, assumes that everybody thinks like her. Mm -hmm. If I want this, why wouldn't everybody want this? If I think it's this way, why Mm -hmm. wouldn't everybody want it this way? (laughs) And so it's a tangled mess. I walked in this morning, and Adam is untangling Christmas lights. And he goes, someone put this away without really thinking and just threw it in the box, and now he's untangling. And that's what we're doing right now is we're untangling a mess. Yeah. But I love that I had a chance to process and realize it's because we're all oper- operating under assumptions, but we're not really good at communicating through speaking about what we're thinking. Yep. I tell my mother-in-law, I know you think you know what's best, but why don't you ask them? If that's what's my, best. Yeah, just ask, what do you want? What works for you? Yep. And then the other sister-in-law who thinks she doesn't have a voice, they say, well, what do you want? Yeah. You have a right to speak what you think and what you feel. And then my other sister-in-law who thinks everybody thinks the same, I go, you know, not everybody really thinks like that. And she said, they don't? I go, no. Yeah. And she has a hard time recognizing differentiation. And differentiation is a word that means understanding people have different thoughts yep. and different feelings that than you do, and not everybody blends together. So let's just say we're unraveling the Christmas lights. Yeah, and going back to your first point, which is that boundaries promote honesty in relationships, that's what we're doing is we're starting to get, we're moving towards honesty by getting awareness around mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. assumptions and then learning how to communicate that to one another with respect. And is it fair to say that it encourages honesty not only with other people, but it encourage, it forces you to be honest with yourself? For sure. Like I have to imagine, Mac, in your scenario, there are some pastors who would think, well, I'm a pastor. I should be available. I should like this. I yep. signed up for this. Yep. But then eventually by the 17th time they answer the phone, they're feeling a little resentful and yep. it probably comes out in how they're talking, but then they're not being honest with themselves and they're not being honest with the person. Yes. Right? Like it's, if you're not honest, it's going to come out sideways. Yep. And so I think it's important to start by being honest with yourself and going, this is not okay, and then being able to communicate that to the other person. Yeah, and I think if you're on the receiving end of, let's say, a boundary trespass, that irritation that you might have toward someone 
um, is often an indicator that maybe I haven't communicated what I need to. Yeah, right. That's a good point. That's, a, that's like a catch for me. Like a good practice for me is to go, if I find myself irritated with someone else because they're demanding something of me or wanting something of me, mm-hmm. that's a little like self-awareness check to go, oh, they're maybe trespassing on a boundary, but I maybe haven't communicated it. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's always about the communication. Yes. Right? In the assumptions, you think you know what's best for somebody, and then you act on that. Mm -hmm. But that's actually a boundary violation. If you act on what you think is best, but you actually haven't clarified with them, what do you think is best? Yeah. And I think it's hard. I was thinking about this, that when you're making an assumption, it's because you're thinking something that you believe as truth. And it could be, I don't have a right to my opinion, Mm. or Mm. I should do what other people want me to do. It can be over-accommodation that my thought process or my belief is I need to accommodate other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mm-hmm. thoughts don't mm-hmm. matter, but I have to accommodate. In your case, Smack, it should have, it could have been, I have to accommodate the needs of my parishioner. I have to accommodate anybody that calls. I have to accommodate them. And what they need has a higher priority than what I actually need yes. in my family times. It's yes. an over-accommodation. And look, I might just say, I think especially in church culture, um, I know we've been talking about this for a while, so I, we can wrap it up. But um, especially in church culture, I think we are, um, uh, what's the word? We feel pressure to be, let's say, nice, like quote unquote nice. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about in past episodes, especially women, I'd say young women, we're taught that we're supposed to be nice and accommodating and available and all of these things don't offend people. But it, it's similar to the fawn response we've talked about in, in our anxiety episodes. Yep. Um, being nice in this case is actually not being honest. And so if we're being nice, but it's not coming from a genuine place, it's not doing anyone any good. It's almost like a boundaryless life is a dishonest life. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that because you're not being honest about what you think and what you feel. And we can talk about that later because you have to be honest with yourself first, right? And being honest with yourself first means you know what you're thinking and you know what you're feeling and you're connected to that. Yeah. But when you have conflict, like what we're dealing with with the Christmas, as light as that is, that's where everything comes into play, right? And your thinking comes into play, right? Yeah, good stuff. So moving on to a second one, um, I would say boundaries promote alignment with our values. So we did a whole series on values in this podcast, um, for the first series in this podcast, and we talked about defining what's important to us as a church, but we also talked about defining what's important to us individually. And I think it's important to recognize that we all have a limited amount of time, energy, resources, and putting boundaries in place protects what's most important to us. So if my time with my family is important, I'm going to put a boundary around that time. If I want to save a certain amount of money, I'm going to put a boundary around how much I spend on something else. If I'm emotionally taxed, um, I'm going to put a boundary on how much emotional energy I can put into someone else who may be having a tough time or needing me. So failure to set boundaries can lead to living out of alignment with our values. Because let's say, for example, I prioritize my family, but if I lack boundaries at work, my time with my family will suffer. Which is exactly what happened to me with this individual I was referring to before. Um, yeah. When he began to reach out at kind of at off times, my first inclination was like, whoa, this might be an emergency. Um, pick up the phone, which all of a sudden compromises that other value mm-hmm. of being present at home. Yep. And of course, it took me a few repetitions to go, oh, this is a pattern. There's an expectation here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it created this conflict between mm-hmm. being an available pastor and being a present 
husband and, and, and father. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so knowing those values, like I place a very high value on being present at home, um, clarified that this isn't appropriate over here. Mm-hmm. And now I need to, mm-hmm. again, surface those expectations, name, help the other person name their expectations, assumptions, name my own, and yeah. recalibrate those boundaries. Yeah, I think my hang up with this one tends to be, I tend to think that I have unlimited time, energy, and resources. Mm-hmm. And so um, growth for me has been realizing there are only 24 hours a day and like, I need a lot of sleep. So there goes like a third of those. And so everything that I say yes to when it comes to commitments and events and, and scheduling um, is going to take time away from something else. So I have to be intentional about what I'm prioritizing. And these aren't always external. It's not mm-hmm. always someone who's calling you and begging for your attention. A lot of this is internal as well. Mm-hmm. When you go home from work, can you stop thinking about work and actually be present with your home? You know, how, how yep. often ha- I can tell you it's happened to me where it's like your, your, your spouse or your child is saying something and all of a sudden you realize you didn't hear anything they mm-hmm. just said because you're thinking about this other thing from the day, this problem that wasn't resolved or whatever. When you go on vacation, can you, can you put the laptop away? Can you stop checking email, right? So there's this whole inter- mm-hmm. internal boundaries too around when I'm done with work, can I actually shut that off in order to be present? At home. Yeah, I agree with that, Mac. I did in my uh, graduate work in counseling, we had a whole class, but a big part of the class structure was how to let go Hmm. of what, as Hmm. a therapist, I'm hearing things all day long, very emotional, very intense, and very heavy. And no one can carry that. Hmm. So they would teach us. You have to visualize letting it go on your way home. But I have worked over the years and just when I leave, I leave. I carry nothing home. Mm -hmm. And if I did, I could actually feel it in my body. I can feel the stress in my body and I have to tune in and go, what am I feeling? And if it's stress, I might be carrying something and I have to really identify that and let it go. Because you have a stressful job. I have a stressful job. Katie has a stressful job. But the intensity of what I hear, I have to mentally and emotionally release. How do you do that? Okay, let's say, because you're right. You're in a health profession. My wife, Josie's in a health profession. She's a nurse. All of us have that. When you're at the end of the day and you've had, let's say, five, 15 clients and all of it is heavy stuff, how do you let go and leave it at the office so you can go home? Do you put on the Frozen soundtrack and blast it? (laughs) I do listen to music and that does help me. My brain recalibrates pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God. I feel like God's given me a brain that I can shift gears, but I actually do pray. And if there's something heavy on my heart that I heard from a client that is heavy in my spirit, I will release it to God. And I pray and I give it to Him. And I just say, God, you can manage this better than I can. And I release it. And the prayer actually helps me mentally, physically, and emotionally release that to him. Yep. I tell my clients to do that. So I need to do that as yeah. well. It's so interesting you say that because w- when I first started in pastoral ministry about 15 years ago, um, a dear a dear um, friend, Don Gephardt, and mm-hmm. I would meet occasionally. He had a lot of, he was a veteran when it came to mm-hmm. pastoral ministry. And this was something I started to get tripped up on right away, which was how do you leave all of this here and go home? Um, and 
we unpacked that for a few weeks, I remember, and it was very much similar. You need a buffer at the mm-hmm. end of the day, some sort of transition where you're able to sit with the stuff that feels heavy or unresolved and acknowledge you've done your best and you're gonna leave the rest. Mm-hmm. You have to get to that place where you surrender it and know that God's agency, God's at work even when you're mm-hmm. not. You know, This is part mm-hmm. of Sabbath for those who practice mm-hmm. Sabbath mm-hmm. once a week. It's mm-hmm. like, no matter what is undone, you stop. You don't stop because it's all done. You stop whether it's done or not. Mm -hmm. And you learn to surrender all of that Mm -hmm. into God's hands Mm -hmm. in a posture of trust. That's right. Right? That's right. Through prayer and believing that God will take it and help whoever you're praying about in ways that you carrying it can't can't do anything. There can be a belief that if I carry it internally— in my mind and ruminate on it and fixate on it, that somehow I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything except causing cortisol to flow through my body. Mm-hmm. So that's not healthy for me to carry someone else's pain or issues. I have to release that to God. And there's a chemical endorphin that happens in the brain mm-hmm. that you actually feel calm and peace when you pray and release it to God. So a lot of this is brain chemistry around what happens when you pray and let it go. Yes. So keeping it in your body creates cortisol and a lot of chemicals that create anxiety and releasing it to God. There's an endorphin response with dopamine that releases it and gives you peace and calm. Yeah. Yeah. You are not God. Right. Um, Yes, I have to remind myself. Well, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying we should all remember we are not. She's naming the physiological benefits of surrender. Yeah. That's That's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love is that God gave us in our brain chemicals to align us with healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. There will be boundaries with chemicals with healthy boundaries and chemicals flowing in our brain with unhealthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And what I was going to talk about even with the first one is our boundaries will be manifested in our bodies if they're healthy or not healthy. They'll come out in some ways, right? Yep. All right, we have, this has been, this is so fun. Uh, So number one, five reasons why boundaries are important. Number one, boundaries encourage honesty in relationships. Number two, the second one, Katie, you named boundaries promote alignment with our values, which obviously presupposes you know what your values are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe a third one I would add, and, and we've already kind of been wading into this, is that boundaries foster relational reciprocity. Um, so healthy boundaries promote healthy relationships, um, relationships where both people are giving and receiving. And there's probably not like a perfect balance between those two all the time. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit about over and under functioning and, a, and sort of a seesaw there. But man, this feels really important. I'm working with a, um, a man in our congregation right now who's really having a hard time um, with boundaries and particularly with establishing relational reciprocity in friendships. And the reason why he has had no positive examples of boundaries in his life, and he has a lot of challenges and struggles. And so what ends up happening, it's like the speed bump, it just keeps happening again and again, is he establishes a friendship, and then very quickly that friendship starts to revolve around all the challenges and struggles that he's experiencing in life. And it creates this sort of codependency where it's not based on reciprocity anymore. It's not about giving and receiving. It's about one person helping another. And so I've kind of developed this little phrase. I I must have heard it somewhere that don't dump on your friends, dump on your therapist. (laughs) Because it creates this imbalance, right? That's right. 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 What, What else would you say about this, this reciprocity? Boundaries help 
promote reciprocity? Yeah, I think that reciprocity is in and of itself what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that you can never talk to a friend about what you have going on. I have a good friend. Of course Her not. husband is going through cancer. So she's going to talk to me about the yes. emotionality of that. And that's healthy. But if that's all our friendship was, was her telling me all her issues, her mm-hmm. problems, and it became unbalanced, uh, there would be a very unhealthy reciprocity of me then being codependent and her being the one who is always taking. And we call that kind of the giver and the taker. Mm-hmm. And that brings in that codependency piece that if you're always dumping on somebody, yep. that's really selfish in your way of thinking that they're there for you, but you're actually not thinking, how can I be there for them? Yep. And that's the unhealthiness. Yeah. And that's an important caveat because I think it is really a really important component of relationships to be vulnerable and to lean on your friends for support. Um, but I think it's it's one thing when both people know what's happening, um, and you could even name it. Like I could say, "Hey, friend, I'm going through a really hard time right now. Is it okay if I lean on you more in this mm-hmm. time? Like, what is your what does your capacity look like? I know you have a lot on your plate. Is it okay if I lean more more on you right now? And give them the freedom to say, "Yes, absolutely, I'm here for you," or to say, "Actually, I've got a lot on my plate too, so I might not be the person to walk with you in this season." Yeah, so you're going back to the value around communication. I mean, Uh communication is such an important piece here where we're asking, hey, here's what I need. Is that something you can actually Mm. provide for me? Mm -hmm. And not only can you, but then are you willing to? And that's a good point because with this person, my good friend, I'm really busy, as Katie knows. I'm busy, busy, busy. But my friend needs me. Mm. So it's my responsibility to carve out time for her. Mm. She's not going to be one to catch me just on the run because I don't have a lot of margins. But then I feel it's my responsibility to make time for her. And I will call her and say, hey, can we go to lunch? And I will define the time and make sure I'm making time. And she knows that I may not be available 24-7 because I'm not. But she knows I will make time to process what she's going through emotionally. So there's a responsibility on both ends, the giver and the receiver. Mm -hmm. So you want to be responsible as a friend to make sure you have the um, availability to give or to ask for what you need, but also that person receiving has to also carve out the time to make sure that they want to be there and are there for giving emotionally what that person is needing. And this all happens kind of unconsciously. It's just like this give and take. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so um, I'm assuming something here, but I'll ask. Terry, if you needed something from this friend who's going through a difficult season and you're providing emotional support and being intentional about that, I guess my assumption is if this is a healthy relationship, if you were going through a difficult time, you could – you could be the, the, that relationship might switch a little bit. You could also come to that individual Correct. asking for some emotional support or to talk about some of the stuff you're experiencing in life. Right. Right. Yeah. This friend is really healthy, and I can think of times in my life where I was going through something difficult, and she was always there for me emotionally. So it's the reciprocity reciprocity of she was there for me, and I'm there for her, yep. and we take turns being there for each other. 
but it's not one-sided. And that's yes. really what you're talking about. You can't really have a healthy one-sided relationship because that ends up breeding a lot of resentment. My clients talk about that. They have friends or spouses that are, it's very one-sided yes. and that breeds a lot of internal resentment that you start shutting off to that person then. Yes. You emotionally shut off because it feels so one-sided. Yeah, it feels like there's probably some work to do I mean, for me and maybe our listeners to just do a, a look at all of their relationships and say, okay, are these are these based on reciprocity? Mm-hmm. Or am I the giver? Mm-hmm. Am I putting in all the work? Am I the one who's holding this together? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you say that, Mac, because there's an author, Ross Rosenberg, who actually wrote a book called The Human Magnet Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And his belief, and I believe he's right, is there's a continuum of plus Starts at zero, you go plus one, two, three, four, five, and then negative one, two, three, four, five. Mm. And you're either a giver or a taker, kind of by nature. And it's okay to go within the realm of the plus one or plus two, negative one, negative two. The negatives being more the givers, the plus being more the takers. And if you look at relationships, especially in marriage, there is more of a giver and maybe a taker, mm-hmm. but it's within the range of normal and there's reciprocity in yep. it. Yep. We'll go into this later, but he'll say the extremes of the plus five oh are the narcissists and the negative fives are the codependents. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we're always talking about a balance, mm-hmm. but there usually are, there is maybe more a little bit of a giver in a relationship and a little bit of a taker. And Katie, we probably know. And um, your mom and dad, who the giver and <laughs> who the taker <laughs> Katie, come on, tell well, me. Well, no, I would say you're, you both, I think in, you have strengths in different areas. They're in the healthy range. They're, They're in, in the, the healthy range. range. <laughs> I tell everybody, all my clients, I'm definitely more the taker. And I think my husband, Randy, is more of a giver in a lot of ways, but it just works well for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, when it comes to like scheduling social events or curing, yeah. you know, conversations yeah. or kind of, I don't know, making sure you do like decorate for Christmas. Like there's yeah. a lot of things that you give too. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. He just makes sure that bills are paid and the lights and dinner's stay on. on the table. Yeah. And and it's fun to recognize and I would want everybody to kind of think about their own marriage. Mm-hmm. Am I more the giver or the taker? Who in my marriage, my spouse is more giving and like you like you named Katie, there are different areas. Yeah. yeah. But Ross right. Rosenberg says the human magnet syndrome is, and we'll go get into this, codependents are attracted to narcissists and narcissistic codependents because who else would tolerate for that? For sure, for okay. sure. Well, let's get into it because um, the, this fourth reason um, feels really pertinent right now. Um, and so it's boundaries protect us from relational toxicity. So Terry, I mean, fill that in for us. Mm. This is a big wow. one. I mean, this, this is, is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. And this is really what I deal with a lot in my practice is with women, it's primarily women, but it's men too, the toxicity of abusive relationship. We can Mm. say narcissist, but it's more than that, and it's bigger than that. The codependency, and I looked up the definition of codependency, is uh, the psychological condition or relationship in which a person manifesting often low self-esteem and a strong desire for approval, has an unhealthy attraction to another person and places the needs to that person above their own Mm. and a dysfunctional relationship dynamic where one person 
assumes the role of the giver sacrificing their own needs and well-being for the sake of the taker. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we talked about the giver and the taker, but this is on the extreme end of the plus fives and the minus fives. Yep. A codependent is somebody who is very vulnerable to being exploited, manipulated, and controlled by another person mm-hmm. because they don't have a sense of them their self and they don't have a strong development of ego, so they're easily manipulated and controlled by, I'll say, a narcissist, but anybody who's manipulative and controlling and violating boundaries. So it really is a boundary issue of manipulation and control. And the toxicity comes in one person is dominating, controlling, and manipulating the other through a lot of different techniques that well, we let's can talk Well, let's break that down, okay? Um, what are some of the most common... I mean, some common techniques um, that you see um, people using to manipulate others. Mm. Well, we can talk about a term that's relatively new, but I have found it to be somewhat pervasive with people (laughs) um, in primarily narcissists, it's called gaslighting. Mm -hmm. And gaslighting is a term that a lot of people have used and they're throwing around, but what it really means is distorting someone's reality. And I found an interesting definition, but it's a purposeful mental manipulation of vulnerable individuals by systematically altering their environment so that they identify with a fictitious narrative created by a sociopathic captor. Mm-hmm. What that really means is somebody who's extremely unhealthy tries to manipulate the environment by creating a narrative that's false, yep. and the person begins to buy into it that wears down their identity and who they are because they stop Question, they stop believing in themselves and they question their perception of reality. Yeah, okay. it's a form of emotional manipulation mm-hmm. and abuse where one person uh, attempts to distort the other person's perception of reality. It's the highest form, I believe, is psychological abuse because you stop knowing what truth is anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and one way to spot it, this is another acronym that I've seen thrown around there, is DARVO. So deny, attack, reverse order of victim oppressor. Mm. That's like the basic pattern Mm -hmm. of usually a reality distortion is we deny what's happened, then we attack. There's like a Mm counterattack. I attack the person who's naming things Mm -hmm. and I actually reverse the order. Like I reverse the order of victim and oppressor. And we're seeing this, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have people Mm -hmm. who tune into this podcast that are working at churches and this is happening a lot with like the Me Too, Church Too mm-hmm. sort of movements when some sort of abuse or toxicity mm-hmm. gets exposed within churches, uh, often involving leadership. We actually see this happening quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, you see uh, often elder teams or the the lead pastor who's being accused of something doing just that. They, they gaslight by denying, uh, counterattacking, reversing the order of victim of uh, an oppressor simply to... Um, try to make it all go away. Mm-hmm. And they end up gaslighting mm-hmm. oftentimes the victims and entire congregations into buying an alternative narrative that distorts what's true. Right. I, I've abused you, but I'm going to convince you that I'm the victim and you've actually did something wrong. And they have tons of power um, and often tons of uh, a platform to do just that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you name churches because I can see it happening in churches. And it happens individually, of course, in marriages, but I can see it happening in church. It's a 
form of deception and denial around the reality and not owning what the person is saying they are being hurt or the for women if i'm encouraging them to say what they need and what they feel in a marriage yep. and when they do that they somehow have an intensity or an experience of abuse that they're receiving it's yep. because every time they state a need it gets twisted around towards them and all of a sudden they're the problem so give us an example of that um, an example would be uh, a client might say uh, to her husband, hey, you really hurt me when you didn't do this or you're not responsive to my need. And he'll somehow twist it around and make it, well, I don't do that because you're always blank. Okay, yep. So yep. he will use it to form a narrative that her needs are not being met because of something that Deficiency. is deficient in her. She yeah. is deficient somehow. Yep. And she is the one, if she could only change and be different, he could actually meet her needs. And the sad thing is, she actually begins to believe this. Yep. If only I were better, if only I was different, if only I couldn't fill in the blank, then he would actually be the husband that I want him to As believe. As if she's the problem yes. rather than the other way around. And she'll own it. Yep. My behavior is preventing my husband from doing what I need him to do. Yep. My behavior is deficient. Let me give an example from the church world um, because I've seen this quite a bit um, in a lot of churches where there's a lead pastor centric model of authority where the lead pastor um, is put on this pedestal, operates as a CEO, they get to call the shots. Um, going back to kind of that plus, plus five, mm -hmm. they're like positioned to be a plus five, right. right? Right. And what ends up happening is, is that the entire staff um, basically becomes that negative mm. four and five mm. revolving around um, the lead pastor. And they're very sensitive. It's codependent because their sense of well-being on their staff right. very much depends upon being on the good right. side of the lead pastor mm -hmm. or proximate to his power or whatever. Mm. So if they're in good standing with the lead pastor and have a voice in the mm. decisions and so on, they feel great about themselves. But if they feel sort of disconnected or on the wrong side of the lead pastor, um, they, they don't feel okay. Mm. And mm. so you end up having entire staff sort of revolving around one person and it becomes very unhealthy. And then everybody is very prone to all the manipulation that we're talking about, G gaslighting. If someone does speak up, usually the response mm -hmm. is to isolate them. They're, they're pushed out of important decisions. They get the silent treatment, mm -hmm. There's right? And, and sometimes they're just removed from staff entirely if they challenge something, right? Mm -hmm. And all of this is ind indicative of, of a toxic work environment. And I think you speak to a point, Mac, that... The toxicity happens in a marriage, in a church, in a work environment where there's a power control. Someone has the power and someone is submissive and there's this imbalance um, imbalance of power and control. And that's why as a pastor, yep. <clears throat> excuse me, it's so important for, for you to be healthy. Yep. Because if you're a plus five, narcissistic, unhealthy, it's very easy for you to abuse yep. not only staff, but the congregants and just kind of use your power in a way. Yep. And what really is scary to me in the church is it confuse with God. Yes. That people mm, start mm -hmm, seeing it mm -hmm. as, well, God, they're a pastor. So that's Which makes it so much more hurtful. With, yes, because mm -hmm. it's, it's supposed to be a spiritual leader that is fused with understanding God's law, truth, 
guidance. And we just assume, there we are assuming, assuming that a pastor is connected to God and given an anointing of guidance for the congregation. And when you believe that to be true, but then they abuse their power, people get a distortion of God. And that's so dangerous because that's one of the most spiritual abuses I see. Yeah. I think I hear you both saying something else I'm going to name, which is that um, in any toxic relationship or dynamic, you have um, a power imbalance and that one person is, let's say the abuser, and then the other person or group of people, if it's a staff or whatever, those people tend to be codependent. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Like codependency actually makes us more susceptible to emotional manipulation, right? Um, But that we have to name the power dynamics that are at play. Because if it is a marriage where we in some ways have equal power, um, well then if I'm the codependent person, it may be my responsibility to recognize where I'm enabling the toxic behavior by being codependent. And it may actually be that I just need to have the confidence to state my boundaries and stick up for myself. And that will be enough maybe to shift that dynamic. But if it's a supervisory relationship, or if you're my pastor and I'm a congregant, there's a power dynamic there that may not actually make it safe for me to speak up, or I may experience repercussions for speaking up, and that changes things. Yep. And and here's the thing is most people don't like start in a toxic uh, relationship right off the get-go with their eyes wide open. And even the abuser knows that if they just start by being overtly abusive, that's not going to work very well. So mm-hmm. there's some sophistication here. <laughs> um, oftentimes, uh, a relationship in that plus five, minus five starts with the plus five love bombing the other person, ingratiating themselves mm-hmm. to the the other person. So there's a sense of like attraction, the sense of like, oh, I, 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 there's chemistry, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I once was warned about a pastor from another pastor who said, this pastor will every time early on, every time you interact with them, they'll put $20 in your pocket. That's what the relational interaction will feel like. You'll feel like you're getting rich. Every time you interact with them, 20 bucks. Eventually, that's going to flip, though, and every interaction you have, he'll take back 100. Mm. That's interesting. The other thing, Katie, when, when you were talking, you brought up a good point. In a healthy relationship, whether it's a pastor, staff, marriage, in a healthy relationship, when you bring up a need or have a boundary, <laughs> the healthy spouse or pastor will be receptive to that, encouraging of that. They may not love that, but they will be receptive and not angry. Mm. Early on in my practice, I would teach women to have healthy boundaries and stand up, find their voice, find their power, help them verbalize what they need because they were so repressed and internalized with what they thought and felt. Mm. So I would role play and my whole objective as a therapist was getting them to verbalize their boundaries. Well, marriages were blowing up and divorcing like crazy. I bet. And I thought, what is going on? These women are getting healthy, but they're ending up with an increase in escalation of abuse and ultimately divorce. Hmm. And what I realized that my women that were verbalizing boundaries that were married to narcissists, narcissists do not handle boundaries. Hmm. They will not accept when my negative fives are becoming up that scale, negative four, negative three, negative two. Hey, my needs matter. My feelings matter. I'm important. That was not met with applause (laughs) or acceptance or a change of the partner on their behalf in hearing what their spouse needed. It was 
with increased manipulation, Mm -hmm. increased abuse. Mm -hmm. So what you can name is that the healthier you get if you're with somebody unhealthy like a narcissist, it's only going to escalate the dysfunctional dynamic and the abuse will Mm -hmm. increase. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's why, unfortunately, a lot of relationships do end in in divorce when the negative vibes codependent get healthy. Mm. Or in a case where you might have uh, somebody like a CEO or a head pastor or somebody who's somewhat narcissistic, any kind of person that is healthy is going to probably not fare well with that. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. would have to be codependent to create some kind of peaceful dynamic because any verbalization of a boundary is not going to be meant with applause. But penalty. Oh, big penalty and punishment. Punitive. There's actually no working through that or resolution usually. Right. Right. And maybe that's a good way to test if it is a healthy relationship, if you set a boundary and the person receives it by saying, oh, I didn't realize that. Thanks for letting me know. That's probably a healthy relationship. (laughs) And if it's not, then it's probably not. Yeah. And of course, there's probably some, a range of health. You know, I think what you're saying, Terry, is that, hey, if it's met with just escalated abuse, Mm. that's not great. But of course, there might be moments in a healthy marriage where you're wanting to recalibrate a a boundary or rhythm or a pattern and there might be some tension around that, and that's normal. Mm-hmm. But there's there's an openness to talking about it. Hey, I want to understand. I want it right. Yeah, right, right. There, there's always going to be increased tension in the recalibration of a relationship. There'll all be increased tension. Yep. But if it's an escalated of the abuse tactic in manipulation, gaslighting, uh, silent treatment, then we're looking at probably somebody pretty unhealthy. Yes. Yeah, so we've been circling around um, this one for a while, but I want to name a fifth and final reason why boundaries are important, and that's that they help prevent against burnout and resentment. So I think we've, again, been alluding to how having boundaries can actually lead us to bring our best selves to relationships and can lead us to help love people better, right? Because when we establish boundaries, we preserve our time and our energy and our resources. We're being honest with people. We establish reciprocity and mutuality. Um, But... But I think failure to do so can leave us kind of leaving the opposite. So think about this with me for a second. Go back in your mind maybe to a time in your life when you've been in a relationship that caused you to feel a little emotionally drained, maybe a little resentful. Like your example, Mac, if the guy kept calling you and you never said anything about it, you may not have realized it at the time, but if you go back to think about that relationship and dissect how you got there, I'm guessing there was some point when you didn't feel totally free to name what you were feeling, mm-hmm. what you were wanting, what you didn't want, what you like, et cetera. Maybe the relationship developed some patterns that weren't entirely healthy and became draining. And after doing that for a period of time, it's inevitable that you start to feel burned out. Yep. And now tell me, how would that have rela- relationship have looked different to you if you did have the freedom to name exactly how you were feeling? Yeah, I mean, burnout happens because I'm trying to do too much. And, um, and, and then the resentment comes because, well, now every demand, I'm sort of loathing that, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, so I guess I would have felt... Uh, I would have felt more free to be honest about, hey, here's what I'm experiencing. And I got there eventually, and then it re- kind of reset things. Yeah. But the healthier the relationship, I think, the sooner you're able to name that. Right. And I think something I've observed is that going back to like the point about assumptions, oftentimes when we assume people know, like you shouldn't be calling me this much, like when you assume that, but you don't verbalize it, 
you keep showing up, you keep answering the phone, but what's going to happen? You're going to feel resentful against that person. Yes. And then you're not showing up in an honest, healthy way for that person, which isn't fair to them. Right. Because you're showing up and maybe doing things. This is when passive aggressive behavior happens. Like I mm-hmm. feel like a lot mm-hmm. of passive aggressive behavior is based on people thinking, mm-hmm. not not being willing to say what they actually mean. And so they just kind of play mind games or say things with a certain tone of voice, or they um, might drop little you know phrases that, that, tell you that they're saying or doing one thing, but they're really thinking something else. I agree with that. I love, and maybe you talked about this in another podcast, but let your yes be yes and your no be no as a biblical Mm -hmm. kind of way of staying healthy. A lot of women primarily will say yes when they actually mean no. Mm -hmm. And they'll say yes because in their brains, the narrative is, a good Christian says yes to everything, or Mm -hmm. I should accommodate other people's needs, or... I have an expectation for myself that I'm compliant and I'm nice and I'm accommodating. And this doesn't fit with the narrative of who I believe my identity to be if I say no. So it's really the passive aggressive behavior will come out and I say yes to everything, but I begin to get very resentful and angry and that resentment and anger will come out sideways, but the unhealthy part could be it'll probably come out within my own body. I'll yep. get depressed, I'll get anxious, I'll get a headache, I will manifest the physical My eye body. might start twitching. I might, yes, my t- <laughs> eye twitches, my eye twitching. No, yeah. no, it's, is it? I'm teasing, no. no. So, so no. right, so let's play this out. Let's say, for example, Mom, um, you've had 20 clients today, really heavy, yeah. and you, um, it's the last day of the month, so you have to get all your paperwork done, <laughs> hypothetically speaking. Oh, and let's say, let's say I call you tonight and say, I really don't have time to make dinner and I would love a home cooked meal. Um, and I would love some dessert. Like I just am really craving some chocolate chip cookies, but not like the store bought ones, mm-hmm. like, like your, the, your chocolate. chocolate chip cookies. And I'd love to bring my kids and my husband, but you know, they're not going to eat what I want to eat. Like, okay, we can play this out. And, and you feel like, okay, well, Katie needs this. I should do it. Um, I come over, uh, how are you going to treat me in that scenario? And then how is that going to play out for you? Okay. So how does it play out when that happens? You know me. And well, you I would, probably you wouldn't would be, do that. No, I actually wouldn't cook dinner. <laughs> no, that, that, would, that would not be me. It, first of all, you know me well enough. You would not call ask Randy me to do and say, I would call, yeah, do it. call your dad. <laughs> I, call, I, I call the giver and say, hey, she needs dinner. Could you make it and take it over? Yeah. But probably you would know that you'd come over and I would be a little short or kind of crabby, mm-hmm. but this is an often uh, scenario in my life that I overcommit. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge overcommitter to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then I get kind of tense and kind of overwhelmed and kind of resentful. Mm-hmm. But then I keep going through and plowing through it, but I'll do it with, so this is my day. She just described well, okay. my day. I, to I, be fair, I actually use that example because I feel like if I did say that, you are someone who would say like, oh no, I'm not able to do that. I'm oh, not able to make it in a positive way. Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. I used you because I don't okay. see that as a realistic okay. example. I think well, you're actually good at saying. This is where I'm having lots <laughs> okay. of fun observing. But, but, but let me just say, you name <laughs> you name something that I would see, I would feel really okay saying no to. Yeah. And that would be dinner. Right. But because I am a seven and I love fun, I've actually said after a really crazy day of podcast clients, paperwork, and several other things, yes to mm-hmm. an event with my friends to go see Margot Fiesler and go to dinner after a day of like eight hours of grueling. So, oh, so you've 
done I, this. Okay, so it is happening. So know yourself. <laughs> it's actually happening in real time. I would say no in a millisecond to making dinner for anybody because mm-hmm. it's not my gift. But if I love fun, which I do, I'll overtax in a way that my boundaries will be worn down because I'll anticipate anything fun being worthwhile. But at the end of the day, I'll be exhausted. Margot is pretty fun. Okay, Margot's really fun, (laughs) and being with my friends is fun, but how much can you actually realistically do in a day? My hardest thing to say no to, and I'm going to ask your audience, what's the hardest thing? to say no to, Mm -hmm. know yourself. Mm -hmm. Because the hardest thing I have to say no to is anything I perceive as potentially fun. What would be the hardest thing you'd have to say no to, Katie? Well, I'll think about that. But in your defense, what I was going to say is I've never experienced you to be passive aggressive. Really? So I think... Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Well, I hear you saying two things. Just aggressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there may be some truth to that. Aggressive. Um, but I think I hear you saying two things, and that's if we don't set boundaries and we do lots of things that we don't want to do, it'll come out one of two ways, maybe both. One, it'll come out sideways in relationships in terms of like passive aggressive behavior or, or whatever. Two, it'll come out in your body. It comes out. In it my comes body. out somehow. Yes, right. Yeah. It will come out somewhere. But what do you have a hard time saying no to, Katie? Ah, similar to you. I have a hard time saying no to plans. Me too. Yeah. So much fun. What about you, Mac? That's interesting. I have a lot of rhythms and sort of habits. I'm fairly routinized around my priorities. Mm. So when extra things, I have a hard time giving up some of those, mm-hmm. saying no to the things that like are rhythmic in my life. Yes. And sometimes that's really good for me to break that right. and go and pursue the fun or exactly. right, to interrupt that. So it's very yeah. different than- You guys should hang out. Yeah. Sounds off each other. So the routine structure of the rhythm of your life is very important. So to break into that, interrupt yep. that, it's kind of hard to deviate it's out of It's a sign of health for me when I'm deviating and- and leaping out for mm. fun. Like oh, that okay. that's a good sign for me. Okay. So I I actually have Enneagram 7s in my life that that I know will pull me towards health. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So I guess what we're talking about is what is it hard? What's hard to say no to? For me, fun for you, kind of your structure and your rhythm and your mm-hmm. routine of life. Mm-hmm. Yep. For you, Katie, just plans, right? Because mm-hmm. you probably grew up mm-hmm. with me altering anything. Pulling to just her into go fun do things oh, yeah. every moment. Every moment. Did you? All the fun. Yeah. Oh, Alter. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, we've named a ton of things, um, mainly five reasons why boundaries are important. Quick summary. Boundaries encourage honesty in relationships. That's number one. Number two, boundaries promote alignment with our values. Number three, boundaries foster relational reciprocity. Uh, fourth, boundaries protect us from relational toxicity. And then um, finally, boundaries prevent burnout and resentment. Um, we end each episode by trying to get really practical and um, giving our listeners some practices to begin implementation. So why don't we kind of pivot in that direction and share with our audience some ways they can begin practicing implementing and prioritizing boundaries. Okay. So noticing when you are feeling depleted. One thing I do with my clients that I'm going to share really quick is actually knowing your body, Hmm. knowing what you're feeling, because how can I have a boundary if I don't know what I'm actually feeling? And I have my clients go through four questions. One is, what is bothering me? Hmm. What's the feeling? Name the feeling. I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm sad. Sad. Uh, 
why do I feel this? Name why you're feeling it. Identify what's causing that feeling. And then lastly, what am I going to do about it? And the what am I going to do about it usually is the boundary. <laughs> who, do, who do I need to say no to? Who do I need to verbalize what I'm thinking or feeling? That is it, so good. I mean, if you're listening, hit the rewind button 30, 40 seconds and listen to that list again. It's so helpful. It's so powerful because we can't have boundaries if we don't know what we think and what we feel. I believe that clients, my the people I work with, I try to help them understand what am I saying to myself? Mm-hmm. So what's the narrative in my brain and what's my self-talk? I have to accommodate everybody. I have to be a good Christian and say yes to everything. But also, what do I feel? What's going on in my body? If I'm frustrated and angry and I don't know why, I need to tune into that, ask myself, what am I feeling? Why do I feel it? And what do I need to do about it? Yes. So the boundaries are something that we need to have to protect ourselves and to identify our feelings. But then our thoughts are cognitions that in the Bible it says, control your thoughts, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Bring every thought captive into the obedience of Christ is know what you're thinking. But people just automatically operate under their self-talk that they're not aware of. So know what you think. Yeah, and I might add um, to this first one of just noticing when you're feeling depleted. If you struggle with that self-awareness and you have a few other people that you can really trust that aren't gonna shame you or guilt you, if you can let them know, hey, I'm wanting to really pay attention to when I'm feeling depleted Mm -hmm. and I don't always have perfect access to that. So if you notice that I start to appear depleted, Um, I give you permission to kind of intervene there mm-hmm. and just let me know, hey, you feel a little depleted. I'm noticing you're a little tired. What, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Help me with my self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And that can be really helpful. I have, I have a few people in my life who just, they just they're just goers. They mm-hmm. just do and do and do, and they're not as in tune with mm-hmm. that. And, and I find it's very helpful, not judgmentally or, t- mm-hmm. hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it kind of prompts them to do a little bit of that self-reflection. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Having people in our life that are truth tellers is important. Um, what I have my clients do that's really important and really good is to journal. <laughs> what happens when you journal, when you write, you tap into a deeper part in your brain that connects to the emotional side of your brain rather than verbalizing and processing. So I say write. Yeah. Write the four questions. What's bothering me? What do I feel? Why do I feel it? And what am I going to do about it? Writing pulls up so much more than verbally processing Verbal processing is in the prefrontal cortex, but when you're writing, you're tapping into a deeper emotional part of your oh, brain. Oh, that's great. Verbal, just write it out. Keep a hmm. journal. Yeah, maybe another practice would just be to do it. Just set a boundary, um, even if it's a small one. Like if you, for example, if you're listening to this and you like can think of a relationship or something in your mm-hmm. life that's taking, let's say, more emotional energy than what you want to give, try initiating a conversation and just letting the other person kind of know how you're feeling and my, what you want to change. That's good. I, I might want to give the caveat, when you do start practicing boundaries, sometimes it doesn't look pretty. Like you can mm-hmm. over calibrate and mm-hmm. come out sure. aggressively because you're so not used to doing it. It takes practice because it can feel forceful and it can feel like you're over the top with it. And also the person receiving it may not know what to do with it. So don't judge your boundary practice with how you feel yeah. and how the person is receiving it. And I can imagine it can it. feel awkward. Yeah. awkward if you're not used to it. Awkward. 
Uh, yes. Yeah. So like be kind to yourself. Right. As you're trying to figure this out, be kind to yourself mm-hmm. and kind to others. This is hard work. Hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, and we when we kind of come down on ourselves or others with judgment and sort of an aggression or an intensity, um, it can really d- detract from those small steps towards health. Be very you know? gentle with yourself. Yeah. This takes a lot of practice. And if you've been spent your whole life not having boundaries, it's really hard to start practicing. And I think it's good to acknowledge it is going to be hard and there probably Mm -hmm. will be tension in those conversations. For sure. But I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, you're kind of front-loading the tension Mm -hmm. by setting boundaries because lack of setting boundaries leads to tension down the road that we've been talking about for the past hour. So in some ways, just think of it as, okay, well, I'm going to intentionally front-load some of that tension so that I can get clear and save headaches down the road. You're fronting tension. And fronting tension, I believe you're saying you're going to be anxious. Fronting tension means you're going to have anxiety about doing something different and verbalizing something you need or feel if you're not used to that is going to create anxiety. Mm -hmm. Anxiety will initially feel very high, but it'll dissipate and come down the more you do it. So you'll get used to it. Yeah. So practice one, notice, notice when you're feeling depleted, there's a little checklist you can use and journal about it and notice what's happening. What am I feeling? Why is it there? What am I going to do about it? This uh, practice two is to do it, set a boundary and communicate it. And then finally, I would just say a good practice is to learn from someone else. Um, I recently had an email exchange with someone who she is again, kind of really working hard on all things boundaries, but uh, like this other individual doesn't have a great, a lot of great examples. And so one thing I encourage is just to saddle up with someone who you think models it really well Mm -hmm. for you and, um, and begin learning from them. And if that's a therapist can be helpful, maybe a friend who's really good at boundaries, but learn from the people around you who you see living into this really Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Right. Very, very good. Notice the way people do boundaries. Um, Oftentimes, people don't have a lot of really good models for that. Yeah. And that's where I often recommend the boundaries by Townsend and Cloud. Um, It's interesting. My clients that don't have good boundaries go, I can barely understand what they're talking about. (laughs) The concepts are so different that they go, this is really hard for me. Feels like a foreign language. It's a foreign Mm. language. And that's where podcasts and even audiobooks, I think, can be helpful because you can actually hear what it sounds like to set boundaries. Like I remember listening to a a Brene Brown book, an audiobook, and I loved it because I could hear her narrating Mm. how difficult conversation would sound and I could hear her mm. tone and how she would say things. And that gave me like a mental model for what that sounds mm. like. Mm-hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. And illustrations, right? Good. Yeah. Well, you guys, I think that wraps up our conversation today. Um, as a reminder, this was our second episode we spent discussing boundaries. And today we looked at five reasons why boundaries are important. We talked about how they serve an important role in our relationships by protecting what's important to us. And then we set forth three practices that you can use to put this stuff into practice. And this is where the stuff really comes to life, right? Like we can sit here and talk about this all day, um, but until we actually live into it, these are just kind of abstract concepts that won't really have any bearing on our real lives. It would be like ordering a gourmet meal. And then when it comes, you are busy talking on your phone and you don't eat. Yeah. You got to practice this stuff. And where you even write a critique on it. Oh, sure. You study it, but you never actually eat it. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, We hope you enjoyed the episode. Next time, I'm so pumped for this. We're going to start a new series on church health. And um, so buckle up. We're going to have a lot of fun. 
Praxis is recorded and produced at Crosspoint Community Church. You can find out more about the show and our church at crosspointwi.com. If you have any questions, comments, or have any suggestions for future topics, feel free to send us an email. Also, if you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.